Hey, look at you. Florist by day, student by night, student by day, nurse by night. Since 1998, Penn State World Campus has led the charge in online education, offering access to more than 175 in-demand programs taught by our expert faculty. We offer flexible schedules, scholarships, and tuition plans to help you reach your educational goals online. Penn State World Campus delivers on your time. Click the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. That's worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm the wizard, Holden McNeely. And I'm the bruiser, Jake Young. And my favorite part of the show is how we always keep that consistent. Go, 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 go. That's the that's the knowledge crow <laughs> telling you that it's the wizard and the bruiser half hour to an hour. Learning awaits. Caca. <laughs> oh, no. I need a rune in order to get the, the, the crow to open up to me. Tell me the secrets of the treasures. But today we're talking about the Simpsons. Oh, God. You know, guys, TV is the best. Sweet, warm mother box. <laughs> Third parent. The glowing womb, as Beep, I used to call it. So I would say, yes, my box was a mother box. Indeed, Jake, I like was raised by the TV in so many ways. And a lot of my interactions with my family was watching TV together, really not speaking to each other, but sitting in the dark and laughing along with each other to a TV show. That was our way to bond. I mean, that's... And here's the thing, though, is that Simpsons came along at such like a specific point. This was the height of TV uh, in terms of market saturation. It was ubiquitous. It was before VCRs. It was before TiVos. I guess there were VCRs. You know what I mean? Uh, we had VCRs back then, yes. But the that when <laughs> but a show before aired, DVD fucking players. When a show aired, that was it. That was you know you had to catch stuff, and the um, ratings back then were in millions. Like they they measured percentage of the U.S. population watching a show at any given time and like a mediocre show is still like three million people back then now let me ask you this did you catch because i brought this whole bonding with my family thing up because i i was and i want to ask you first did you catch the og first episode christmas special when it aired for the first time like i did with my father i did not okay you, I did you, not. You weren't on board yet. You had to like get moved into it. I, I think somewhere in the middle of the first season is when it started. To like get, when when in, when I started watching it, uh, because I wasn't cool enough. I guess <laughs> my parents weren't like. Hey, you want to you want to watch this Tracy Ullman show spinoff? <laughs> Which poor Tracy Ullman, like she a, sued. A, a footnote to history, though. Yeah. Like I watched a few episodes in preparation of this. It's an okay sketch show yeah it's an okay sketch show which had these interstitial cartoons of this weird animated family that was like not 
like they're not it's not the Simpsons you recognize no, none of no, the voices no, no, are the no, same no. well do you know that he actually the reason why they look so shitty in the cartoon is because Matt Groening just like scribbled out some sketches to give to the animators thinking they would like kind of like clean use, use those for their animations instead they just drew directly over the <laughs> scribblings and that's why you have what you have for those really crude early episodes it's, on the or, or shorts on the Tracy Ullman show. I, I guess we'll get into to history for yeah, a yeah, second for Sure. But uh, it was a worldwide phenomenon. It, it was, was huge. I remember I my dad and I, We were. it was like this big deal. Uh, I don't know why it was such a big deal, but we sat down, we watched the Christmas special, and then they kept re-airing it, and we kept, what, like, every time it was on TV, it was like, Holden, come down, it's on again. And we'd go, and I'd run downstairs and watch the show, and it was like this crazy, I mean, it turned into a, a real obsession for me, and, and uh, later with my friends, I mean, I remember every day we were quoting the episodes mm-hmm. at lunch every day that was what we do we just quote the simpsons and i had those simpsons encyclopedias mm-hmm. that had all the little tidbits and info and i wish i still had those it would have been useful for this fucking episode but you know they got uh destroyed because in college when i was like using them for fu- doobie papers or something i don't it's, know what. it's almost like the simpsons was the uh was the eight, it was the finishing the final form of the TV show. I mm. swear to God, because it refer it's very it's very intertextual. It's very meta. It is a TV show made directly in response to sitcoms, which yes. were the dominant form. Like before the Simpsons, it was the Cosby Show, Family uh, Family Matters, Full House, Cheers. All the way back to you know, father knows best and leave it to Beaver. Graining, this Graining, one format. Graining said he w- he wanted to offer an, uh, the audience an alternative to what he called the mainstream trash that they were watching. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. So let's. Okay. So let's, let's get into the personalities involved. For sure. For sure. Every episode of The Simpsons after the uh, the main credit sequence, uh, there there is three names. There's de- it's The Simpsons developed by Matt Groening, James L. Brooks, Sam Simon. Yes, and, those, those are the three for sure. And each one of them is super important to what made that show amazing. Absolutely, and I think it all kind of starts with Matt Groening, born on February 15th, 1954 in Portland, Oregon, the middle of five children. He had two younger sisters named Lisa and Maggie, older sister named Patty, and an older brother named Mark. What happened to Mark? Mark didn't get any love in the show. <laughs> Mark is the luckiest one. His mother, Margaret Ruth, i.e. Marge, mm-hmm. teacher, uh, was a teacher, and the father, Homer Graining, was a filmmaker, advertiser, writer, and cartoonist. For a long time, his bread and butter was 60s surf films. Like, you know, like real eeny-weeny, cool. polka-dot bikini, yeah. surfs-up movies. And uh, I found footage, and there it is, like... Uh, uh, Aloha a go-go directed by Homer Groening and it's such <laughs> seeing those two words are just so bizarre to, and in real life amazing and uh, Groening was uh, you know he grew up in the 60s was part of the counterculture went to the Evergreen State College in Olympia Washington uh, 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 what he described as a hippie college there were no grades or required classes and he said it attracted every weirdo from the Northwest so he's this he's this weirdo a creative kid he's uh Meeting up with a bunch of burgeoning uh, talent from the alt comic scene, including mm-hmm. uh, Charles Burns, who uh, did Black Hole, which is an amazing book. Linda Barry, who is this uh, kind of this this proto alt cartoonist that's influenced generations after her. And uh, Graining is there. He's hanging out. He's working on the school paper. And when he graduates, 
full of piss and vinegar and love and creativity and hippie juice, he moves to L.A. Ugh, hippie juice. Mm, it's like <laughs> patchouli and, and drippings. Bong water. <laughs> it's a weird mix of, of bong water, mucus, and just hash oil. Protest sweat. <laughs> just that gr- that singular kind of sweat you get from standing outside all day it's screaming. It's called justice. Blocking their way. They're just trying to get through onto the campus. They're just trying to get on the campus. And you're blocking their way. It's not right. I didn't know my I didn't know my co-host liked war so much. <laughs> but he moves to LA to make his dreams come true, to, to like be part of the the TV dream that he grew up with. And surprise, surprise, he immediately becomes incredibly depressed and bitter. Oh, working so many different odd jobs, washing dishes at a nursing home. He was even a, a landscaping in a sewage treatment plant. It was a nightmare. And he did eventually end up working at a record store called Licorice Pizza, which took me a second, but then I kind of got it. LP. A record looks like a, oh, LP. I thought That's it was because it looks like a, a pizza made out of liquor. It also looks like that. But yes, he becomes very depressed and starts working on his own comic uh, cartoon series about his experiences in L.A. being depressed, and it's called Life, Life in, in Hell. Hell. Uh, and it's this. it's kind of this... Again, you have to understand that this was a subversive thing back in the day. The uh, alt-weeklies were still a huge part of counterculture at the time. Uh, Ask your parents, but there used to be free newspapers about how you're cool instead of those boring newspapers you have to pay for. (laughs) And they'd have these uh, anti-establishment black and white comics. And for him, um, eventually he was able to get published in one magazine called Wet magazine uh which sounds real gross i was trying to kind of figure out what the vibe of it was it looks like it was a lot of photography and imagery and stuff like that um and i just i got disturbed quickly so i turned away from it it's and it also evokes the uh the the feeling of a recent basement flood yeah exactly and this so this happened in 1978 um and then he started working at the los angeles reader and he got a regular life in hell slot on the reader he was working there doing all types of things he was literally Delivering papers and editing, mm-hmm. and all a jack of all trades at this paper, showed the the uh, editor in chief his uh, Life in Hell comic strips, and he said, "You know what? He gave him a regular slot in in the magazine." And the Life in Hell comics are uh, they they use these uh, you know uh, Binky the Rabbit, yeah, and. Uh, the rabbit, there's the little two little uh, gay couple uh, with the fedoras. I had the big book of hell and the mm. huge book of hell and some of the other works that, you know, compilation works. I loved those things. I thought they were so great. But it's it's these it's these cartoonish characters, these bug eyed characters with a very bleak, depressing uh, tone. It's mm-hmm. a very it's an angry strip. It's a depressed strip. It's yeah. a, it's an existentially kind of dour but funny strip. It is not. I mean, there are elements of The Simpsons that we know in it, but mm-hmm. it is not, you know, it's it ain't your daddy's. Actually, it is your daddy's Simpsons because it came before The Simpsons. So while <laughs> Matt Groening is writing these very, very personal comics about uh, how much L.A. is making him miserable, uh, James L. Brooks is working with the newly launched Fox Network. Yes. After getting out of television for quite a while, uh, he, he was he had a claim to fame early on. He worked on tons of, I mean, co-created a, a little-known show called The Mary Tyler Moore Show, at, uh, Room 222, and Taxi. So these are, this isn't, <laughs> these are like big TV shows at yeah. the time. These 
are you know it, it's it feels weird to say I, I have no person hearing my dad talk about the mary tyler moore show is like if you wanted to talk to your friend about the wire there is yeah. a reverence there totally totally and he got out of tv for a while though and made a, another little known film wrote directed produced terms of endearment right. and won oscars for all of the things that he did on that movie yeah he won, he, all of it he swept it it's crazy so He's not only uh, a commercial success, he's also a writer that other writers look up to with a focus on character, with a focus on suffering. He grew up in a very broken household. Mm. His uh, father was an alcoholic that mm. basically abandoned his family. Uh, he talks about in, in uh, interviews how he would lie awake at night knowing for certain that whether or not his dad chose to send any child support that week would be the difference between whether or not he ate that night uh -huh. um, or that week. Uh, he found out after the fact that uh, he was Jewish. His father told him he was Irish <laughs> and then just left. <laughs> I love it. That's one of those kooky, broken home stories yeah. that you just only get from, like, that's like, sounds like part of the uh, monologue that, uh, what's his name does in Austin Powers, Dr. Evil or whatever, like, you know, from his, like, horrible, like, past <laughs> that led to him becoming, like, an evil villain. So, uh, he's this incredibly heartfelt writer, this incredibly transformative creative force within show business that proves that heart and suffering and 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 complexity is key to characters, and that's why his TV shows were above and beyond the pale of My Mother, The Car, mm -hmm. and Father Knows Best. And another little cool little fact later on in, in, in the career, obviously, um, he mentored a, a very young Wes Anderson on Bottle Rocket. Yeah. Every most things he it's yeah, including he the Simpsons is adds to this legend of James L. Brooks. Things. He was also though incredibly volatile. Uh, he was very uh, aggressive legally. Mm. Uh, he was a fierce. He was a mogul. Yeah. He, uh, in The Simpsons, whenever they make uh, references to James L. Brooks, they will literally portray a fat guy with like a cigar and a top hat, kind of making fun of him because he's the money guy. Yeah. Uh, Richard Sakai, who is a name that appears also a lot in Simpsons early credits and stuff, was his personal enforcer that he would send down to the writing staff and like told him what to change and what not to change. Like they feared this guy, and he was just the middleman between the writing staff and the Fox executives. Right. And, and, and the way, okay, so, so to b back it up a little bit too, before uh, The Simpsons was born, we, we kind of returned to a subject we, we sort of started with, but he, he, James L. Brooks actually, uh, he even quoted saying, like, I never thought I would end up back in television. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a situation where he was kind of uh, mentoring Tracy Ullman with her show, but she couldn't find a producer. So he ended up kind of getting signed on to the project through those means. He saw Life in Hell, he really liked it, and he was thinking about getting some sort of kind of animated bumpers originally he wanted Peter it to Bogdanovich's be wife gave him a comic really? of, of full like drawn uh like an original uh, what's the word comic board of a life hmm. in hell strip and that's like introduced him to Matt Groening's work super cool so and during a uh, meeting where they were trying to figure out uh, a problem with the sketch show hold on, I don't know if you know this about sketches Tell me some things about. I'm going to tell comedy. you, Holden McNeely, something about <laughs> sketch comedy. Uh, the uh, the the uh, transitions are hard. The transitions are always notoriously hard. Now I'm in a sketch comedy group called Murder Fist. Uh, I our our little way to sneak around that uh, was sort of just to dance and around and scream like maniacs until the next sketch started. But a lot of sketch shows that you see, you're normally just kind of sitting in the dark listening to some sort of top 40s music hit or something really 
really ironic, <laughs> which I love to hear who let the dogs out for three minutes while I watch people move furniture <laughs> around uh, before the next sketch starts. Um, and then, and then you know, you have to sort of build all that momentum that you built up in the last sketch, which is lost in those three minutes. You have to work your ass off yet again and start all the way over again and build that momentum up again unless you can find a way to kind of connect all the bits. And so the solution they came up with for the Tracy Ullman show was... What if instead, in order to let people know that a new that a sketch has ended and a new sketch is beginning, why don't we show these little cartoon segments, uh, written and animated and uh, storyboarded uh, by uh, Matt Groening and uh, Gabor Kshupo of Klasky mm. Kshupo fame, mm. um, voiced by some of the actors from the sketch show, but not. All of the actors from the sketch show that has no involvement with the woman whose name is on the sketch show. <laughs> yeah. What if we just aired that mini TV show in the middle of the other show? Right, right. And I'm watching the old Tracy Ullman shows. They're really out of place and weird. The original yes. Simpsons inter- interstitials make no sense. Weirdly paced. They're, they're not fun. I mean, that's subject, but they're not funny. They're, they're, they're not, very odd. It's, everyone's an Lisa's an asshole. Maggie's an asshole. Homer's an asshole. Marge is just quiet and scared and beaten in the corner. Not physically beaten, just emotionally. Just emotionally beaten. <laughs> the gap between, like, the tra- which w- the gap between the Tracy Ullman show shorts and the show getting picked up. That's what I don't understand. The moments in between where I guess James L. Brooks just said, this is going to be great. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how else it would have gotten picked up because it's not like you see it in those shorts. You don't. I, I mean, me personally, People, I don't see it. The okay. What it, this? The fact is, they were an animated TV family. Like the original subversive joke of The Simpsons is instead of the Jetsons, instead of the Flintstones, instead of these like fantastical get along families with the uh, bedraggled husband and like the perfect kids. It's the Simpsons, a bunch of schmucks that, like, hate each other. A real-ass family. A real-ass family. And, like, instead of, like, getting bonked on the head, like, Bart, like, falls off a table and is, like, bleeding a little. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's—I get where the subversion of expectations makes it funny, and the uh, character designs are— even in that crude form, nothing else looked like them. The yellow, the spikes, like, all of it looks way different than anything out there. Um, and that's actually uh, the idea for that was that um, if you made them, he wanted to make them yellow so that if you're flipping channels and your eye flashes that yellow, you'll know it's the Simpsons. There are so here's the thing where we get oh, we're going to get into this. But like I read another source that said it was like a weird like assistant art director in <laughs> in in Shupo, in Klasky Shupo Studios. I was like, I don't know. I make yellow background purple is so yellow is matches. No, like. <laughs> There's so many stories because right. everybody. This was such a collaborative effort with so many individual moving pieces. Totally, uh, but it's always Matt Groening's name on the merchandise. And well, what? Well, hold on. Um, what's crazy about the inception too? Before we even get into, uh, apparently he wanted for the Tracy Ullman show. He wanted a uh, life in hell to be the animated bumpers. Uh, yeah, yeah. And apparently in the lobby of James L. Brooks's office. He very quickly, Graining. yeah, graining very quickly threw together a pitch based off of his family. He just very fast. He threw all these, threw the names down. You know, uh, it was all his family names. He didn't want to use his own name though for the character that would represent him, which was Bart. So he went with uh, Bart, which is an anagram of brat. Yeah, um, which was this is a level of savviness that like graining is kind of like. 
kind of revealed. It's kind of weird whenever, like, in the hippy-dippy alt-circle, the guy who makes it turns out was a fucking assassin all along. Because, <laughs> like, he knew that if this animated short kind of flopped, he wouldn't be able to sell his life in hell books anymore because they wouldn't belong to him anymore. Yep. He, he, in the contract, his rights would have been rescinded So um, to, the, to the property. So he wanted, yeah, he wanted to maintain those. So... But uh, also that he would have to sort of pull it together in a lobby. I, I hope that's true because that's insane. I mean, as a person who's pitched before, mm-hmm. you agonize you over sl- it. You slave over it. You you go crazy. You 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 know you spend out. You're like rewording every little intricate moment of the pitch, or 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 just trying to figure out every in and out. It's like a chess game. You always want to be thinking at like two two moves ahead. You know, mm-hmm. like of of what the they're gonna ask for, what they might and. Just coming on up with it on the fly like that is Which, if you've ever incredible. seen Matt Groening draw, he's not a good artist. No. So that had to be some real shitty sketches. Yeah, well, we saw the shitty sketches yeah. in the Tracy Holman show. Um, people did like the uh, the Simpsons cartoons. I remember uh, when I watched Mad TV when I was a kid. I hated the sketches, but I liked the Spy vs. Spy cartoons. They go to Barry Diller, who is technically my the my boss because I work for IAC right now. Um and uh, James L. Brooks is like, hey, I think we got a thing with the Simpsons things. Give us a couple million dollars. This will make you stand out from the crowd. Fox was still struggling. Fox wasn't in, like, uh, he, they were only in four-fifths of households still after after so many years. That's they were, right. They were really kind of an underdog t- television network back then. They really were. They were sort of, like, kind of laughed at by the other networks. Mm-hmm. and a lot. There were always, like, jabs at Fox and mm-hmm. stuff, too. Um, and, and in 1989, uh, The Simpsons, of course, was adapted to a half-hour series on Fox. And what I love oh, the, about it— The last name, Sam Simon, yes, was a writer that worked closely with James L. Brooks. He worked on Taxi. He was a TV yeah. guy. He was Brooks's guy. Brooks yeah. brought him on. And him and Graining would come would actually soon come at odds with each other, right, a the, lot of times. They just—yeah, uh, because here's the thing is— Granick brought the attitude, brought the anti-establishment, uh, like subversive bits. James L. Brooks brought the the heart, brought the you know it's uh, brought the classic showbiz like they have to be a family, they have to love each other, they have to you know all those like na 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 moments you remember from The Simpsons. That's James L. Brooks's influence. But the fucking jokes, the fact that this was the funniest, sharpest show that worked on so many levels is because Sam Simon was just brought in the funniest people he could find. He thought this thing would, he would openly say, guys, don't worry. We only got 12 episodes. Go nuts. And so he brought in all these, all these writers, this kind this famous like kind of menagerie of, uh, white Harvard educated guys, uh, like Conan O'Brien, Al Jean, Mike Reese, all these people, uh, were because of Sam Simon's influence. So all okay. f- you needed all three of these dudes specifically at this moment to make The Simpsons what it was. Well, and the thing that I highlighted, the thing that I feel like is the most important move done, and it was done by Brooks, ne- he negotiated a provision in the contract that prevented Fox from interfering with the show's content, and I think that is what makes mm-hmm. The Simpsons so fucking great. You, uh, you mentioned the Christmas special. Yes, uh, Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire first premiered December 17th, 1989. I was there. I watched it. Do you know why it was a Christmas special? Why was it a Christmas special? Because uh, the Simpsons it was came out in December. The Simpsons production <laughs> uh, was fraught with, uh, with, with troubles, with challenges. Like, uh, Matt Groening's animation, like, animation style would not work for primetime. You couldn't 
teach a Korean animator to like fit any of the nothing was on model those first few years. Um, the uh, the actual workflow hadn't been established yet. Uh, James L. Brooks and all the other writers were TV guys. They didn't know how to write for animation yet. Uh, even even the sound mixing was weird. They were so unprepared to actually make this endeavor that when the first episode came in, it was actually the uh, one with the psycho babysitter. Uh, the first yeah. episode ever completed. Yes. Like, you know, they, they you know, all the deals were made. All the writers were hired. Everyone was pulling their hair out, trying to figure out what happens. And they sent it to Korea to finish it up. And it came back and there was a, this is, this is oral history. Like everyone crammed into the screening room, you know, shoulder to shoulder, people sitting on the floor to see what was this thing we all believed in. What was Gracie films, James L. Brooks, Matt Groening, everyone was there and it was awful. The uh, sound issues were off. Voice lip syncing was off. There were weird takes that weren't supposed to be used. Uh, individual transitions didn't work. Jokes landed flat. And famously, like fucking uh, Hitler downfall style, James L. Brooks asked the room to be cleared except for key staff members and fucking laid into them. <laughs> like he, everyone thought they were doomed. Right. But then another episode came in and the animation was like a little bit better. And another episode came in and it came out even better. And the first episode that like kind of like that it worked was Simpsons roasting on an open fire. Ah. So they decided to put that out first as a Christmas special. Because the true season didn't start to like three months later, I think. It was yeah. in March, I believe, of, uh, of 90, I think, something like that. So Because I remember there being a long waiting period. Like I was so excited mm -hmm. for the actual season to start. You know, and I remember having to wait. And it's kind of funny, though, because that waiting and that anticipation made it all the much sweeter. Like when it finally came, it was almost a PR move that wasn't planned on. You know, it's pretty amazing. The show comes out. It's a hit. All of a sudden, everybody's fucking rich. Knives are out. People are butting heads. People uh, who used to work on Tracy Ullman are like, hey, didn't isn't this technically a spinoff of our show? And James L. Brooks is like, ha, 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 funny. Our friendship is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and Tracy Ullman took it to court and lost. Uh, she was acting in a movie being directed by James L. Brooks while the lawsuit was wow. going on. Nobody expected, like, do you realize how fucking crazy it is for Matt Groening to be a fucking alternative cartoonist? <laughs> to then become the god of a multi-billion dollar merchandising. And he said himself, like, no one expected it to be a hit. No Nobody cartoonist in the world will ever get a deal as sweet as Matt Groening ever did. Yeah. There is, sure. like, right now, I'm sure Pendleton Ward is, like, being like, hey, guys, can I have five cents for my adventure time? And Cartoon Network's like, get back in the hole, fatty. <laughs> Every single time we get into one of these things, we talk about, like, oh my god, why are these things so popular? And every single time it basically boils down to the fucking the right magical people met each other at the right magical fucking And they moment. just so happened to negotiate a situation where they got to do what they wanted to do how they wanted to do it. Yeah. You know? And and they every single time they never expect it to be a big thing. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes this crazy ass thing. Uh you know? There's a, oh God, it was so embarrassing in like the years immediately afterwards where everyone else was trying to do an animated show. Oh yeah. That's... Family Dog, Capital Critters. Yeah. I mean, Jackie it's... Bison. Look that one up, idiots. <laughs> Jackie <laughs> it's, Bison. It's still kind of happening. I mean, it's still like, uh, you know, they really did spawn that, uh, that primetime animated show. And what's funny too is, I mean, really you can look back to uh, like the Flintstones was the Simpsons of its time, which is kind mm. of bonkers to think that that was like an adult. T 
TV show for yeah. adults. But Simpsons really did it. You know, I remember after that came, and I love too that The Simpsons was a, a dirty show, and some families wouldn't let their kids watch The Simpsons, and it was such a big deal, and Bart was such a big deal. The fact, well, I think it was mainly the fact that like you have Homer, a father choking his own child. Nobody on a cared TV about that at the time. Nobody cared nobody about ca- that. I remember that being kind of a thing. I I. And the, Bart was a bad kid, and that he would talk back to his parents and stuff. And like underachiever that was a and proud of it, that made people weird. Uh, uh-huh. No, it was the fact that Bart sassed back to authority and was the hero. One of my favorite jokes was um, this is seasons later, but Bart's like they're trying to figure out how to save money because the mm-hmm. family's in financial troubles, and Bart's like, "I'm going to take up smoking and then quit it, <laughs> save his money." He's like, "Good, good son. Just That's the hardest thing you'll ever have to do. Have five dollars. Five dollars." Oh yeah, that's the other thing I wanted to get. Uh, the reason I actually wanted wanted to do this this topic is, it was revolutionary at the time for a TV show to actually offer a sympathetic view of childhood as it actually is. Like Charlie Brown kind of hit on that that kind of isolation, just being a fuck up, yeah. just being a fuck up. Like no other TV show. The Olsen twins were shitty actors. Like, I, my life wasn't like Urkel. My life wasn't like Bewitched. My right. life wasn't. But like, Bart Simpson struggled to get a D minus. Yeah. Like, I, Bart I Simpson had bullies. That. Bart Simpson wanted a toy that his family couldn't get him. Like, yeah. And and Lisa was surrounded by a bunch of idiots and mm-hmm. and couldn't do anything about it. You know, I connected to that as well, right? It's mm-hmm. like you had a little bit of Bart and a little bit of Lisa going on at the same time, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there was sort of that whole combination of of uh, with the childhood stuff, and and uh, even Maggie rolls her eyes at, yeah. at points. I I wish I could tell my principal to eat my shorts, right? Don't have a count. Oh man, and the whole he Bart sasses Simpson God place. in an early episode. I remember in the summer, my I went to like every surf. Show with my brother under the moon because he was looking for a very specific Bart Simpson dunking a basketball as <laughs> Michael Jordan. Oh, it was that bootleg. That was yeah, that a black was, Bart Simpson? Yeah, it was like a black Bart. It was like Air ridiculous. Bart. I remember it like just the, Bart. the craze, man. Was and, and it's so funny too. And we can get you know. I think there's more Simpsons episodes in our future. Yeah. Uh, but but just to see the shift between. Um, the sort of uh, uh, Bart Simpson craze, which which slowly slid into a total just Homer dominated show, mm-hmm. um, what was huge. So um, I guess as we kind of like close out, do you want to talk about maybe some of our favorite Simpsons moments? Or um, yeah, sure. That's so. I mean, I'm a grown ass man, and I'll still like just go into quotes versus quotes on this shit. Absolutely right. Uh, one of my favorites of all time is is the dumbest thing. It's literally just. Uh, one of the many jokes about uh, Springfield Elementary being an underfunded public school, and it's just uh, I, the specific shot is them trying to thin out the meatloaf with gym mats, <laughs> and Lunch Lady Doris feeding uh, like just one of those blue gym mats into a meat grinder, and just looking very concerned, and just goes, "There's very little meat in these gym mats," <laughs> which as a kid, like all that those absurdist like. All those absurdist one-liners always like got me. I uh, yeah my uh, my favorite episode and and I have to admit okay my favorite episode is Lemon of Troy. Um, uh. it, the 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 stealing the uh, Shelbyville stealing the lemon tree from mm-hmm. Springfield. Um, my high school band that I was in, his name was Lemon of Troy. 
know. After our favorite Simpsons episode, that's Aww. how much we loved the show. Uh, Shake harder, boy. Shake harder, boy. And my favorite joke from that, I actually I wrote it down. Um, ah, it's no use. I'm never going to find that tree. This whole raid was use- as useless as that yellow lemon-shaped rock <laughs> over there. Wait a second. There's a lemon behind that rock. And then it shows the space. There really was a lemon-shaped rock, but then there was actually a lemon. Bo- ah, it's, it's so it's, ridiculous. It's the dumber jokes that <laughs> yeah. stick with you. Oh, totally. Um, the other one from that episode, when they're looking at the different Roman numeral doors, mm-hmm. Rocky five plus Rocky two equals Rocky seven. Adrian's revenge. <laughs> I think. Wait, wasn't the wasn't uh, Apollo technically Rocky seven? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Apollo is. So we have like or Creed. That. I'm sorry, Creed. Or Creed rather. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, a really dumb thing. I love like anytime they went into old timey time stuff. Uh, anytime like Mr. Burns talks about the a male via aerogyro or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, my favorite old guy moment probably. Um, just Grandpa Simpson in, you, in, in uh, Strike Buster get up with a bunch of old men being like, well, we can't bust heads like we used to. Now we just tell long stories that don't go anywhere. <laughs> like the time I caught the trolley to Shelbyville. Yeah. <laughs> no, back then, the trolley cost a quarter. Oh, no, or fuck it. No, the, the key line. The important thing is I was wearing an onion on my belt, which was the style at the time. <laughs> style at the time. Yeah, yeah, totally. I um... back, Now, back then, you, could only get, you couldn't get white onions because of the war. So we had to use those big yellow ones. <laughs> Just fucking that great. Um, tr- my favorite Treehouse of Horror of all time would definitely have to be the uh, shinning slash uh, time-traveling toaster episode. Mm. I wish, I wish I hadn't sat on that fish. <laughs> that's, that's uh, the, uh, the no beer and no TV makeover, something, something. Go crazy. I don't, don't mind, mind if, if I, I do. do. Woo, woo, woo. It just, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least the vegetarian had two great ones I love. Uh, the uh, Homer's BBBQ. Uh, the extra B stands for BYOBB. What's that B stand for? <laughs> uh, that's a typo. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Burns and Smithers uh, looking out in like that big office window he has behind his chair, just staring at the sky, just going, Oh, Smithers, I think I'll donate a million dollars to the local orphanage. When pigs fly. <laughs> oh, and they both start laughing and then just... Just the pig flying through the yeah, sky goes by. And, and Smithers just goes, shall I write the check, sir? And just so casually, Mr. Burns unfazed is like, no, I'd still prefer not. <laughs> One of the most brilliant uh, joke-filled, I think maybe, you know, just from a writing standpoint, uh, it's just so incredible. It's 22 short films about Springfield mm. in the seventh season. It has so, just joke for joke, I think it may have the most jokes packed into a mm. single episode. Uh, there's so many, it's hard, to, it's hard to name them all. One of them is, of course, uh, Principal Skinner and Superintendent Chalmers when Skinner's uh, kitchen catches on fire <laughs> and Superintendent Chalmers asks why and he says, uh, it's the uh, it's Northern Lights. It's, it's Aurora Borealis. Aurora Borealis. <laughs> at this time of year, at this part of the world, located specifically in your kitchen. Yep. What well, can I see it? No, I'm sorry, you can't. <laughs> uh, this was this was actually an important joke for me when I was a kid because I grew up in a in a moderate, like acceptably religious household. Uh, was when Homer loves Flanders. Uh, there was there was a moment where throughout the show there would be this this kind of. Uh, sky perspective looking down on Homer where he would like yell at God being like why have you forsaken me like Lord please make this like the whole episode and then they just stay on that shot and then Marge walks in also looks up towards the camera with a broom and just goes like Homer for the last time that's not God that's just a waffle Bart threw up there (laughs) and she hits the camera with a broom and a waffle falls into Homer's (laughs) hand 
and he just stands there looking at this waffle with reference <laughs> and he just and then the next line is just I know I shouldn't eat thee oh lord mmm <laughs> sacrilegious <laughs> and that was like the a very important like transgressive anti-religion joke that I yeah. remember um, uh, itchy and scratchy land because I saw actually on your notepad the joke written down. Uh, my son is also named Bort, <laughs> which is one of the greatest moments. And ever. then the callback at the command center: yeah, like, Bort. We are out of Bort license plates. <laughs> <laughs> I repeat, um, we are out of Bort license. Plates. Welcome to Itchy and Scratchy Land, where nothing can possibly go wrong. <laughs> uh, possibly go wrong. That's the first thing that's ever got wrong. <laughs> It's so good. Um, uh, and then I wrote down all the uh, some of my favorite song moments. Um, See my vest. See my vest made from real gorilla chest, like I, my loafers. I gophers. hate every chimp I see from ape I see from chimpanzee to, to chimpanzee. They, yeah, you'll never make a monkey out of me. God. Okay. Well, this. So we just we literally. Took all this time just to get to the first episode of The Simpsons. We're going to have to come back. Oh, absolutely. So I think this episode should be titled something like, you know, The Making of The Simpsons or, mm-hmm. or, or the, 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 the Origin of The Sim- the Simpsons Origin or something like that. Uh, I hope you had a really fun time listening to this because God knows I had a fun time recording it. <laughs> um, if yeah, you also sure. have a weird friend in his early 30s that likes podcasts, let him know about this show. Uh, <laughs> I'll be, honestly, leave a review on iTunes. Uh, spread it around as much as you can. Word of mouth is literally uh, the only way we can grow this. So uh, it would help us out immensely. Even just one passing mention to one friend that you think would like it, it will it will do wonders for us. Hell yeah, and hop on our Facebook page. You know, the the, the group is excellent. I just, I love the the support we already have garnered from, uh, from people on there. Uh, it is a good time. It's cool, man. Nobody's called me nerdy, nerdy Jew, Jew butt. No, not in front of you. Not to your front. Is there a secret, secret group? <laughs> there might be a secret group. It's Holdenator's Ho. For just bruisers. Judy yeah. Chew Jew butt. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, catch me uh, on Holdenator's Ho at Twitch. You can see my ass get kicked in the Dark Souls DLC uh, most recently. Still working through that. Yeah. Well, I just got. I just dropped the Dark Souls DL three DLC. Just dropped uh, two days ago, as as of the re- time of this recording. Uh, oh, and you can follow me on Twitter at bestjakeyoung, and uh, I uh, contribute stuff to dorkly.com, So check us out over there. Awesome. Have a good one, guys. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Hey, look at you. Florist by day, student by night, student by day, nurse by night. Since 1998, Penn State World Campus has led the charge in online education, offering access to more than 175 in-demand programs taught by our expert faculty. We offer flexible schedules, scholarships, and tuition plans to help you reach your educational goals online. Penn State World Campus delivers on your time. Click the ad or visit worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. That's worldcampus.psu.edu to learn more. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.